Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you again this morning to thank you for your abundant mercy and grace that we don't deserve, your long-suffering and your kindness towards us, the fact that you save us from your wrath by the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ, for his blood shed for us and his raising from the dead has given us a peace and a hope that we could never even imagine. Lord, you've given us joy unspeakable. Thank you for the faith that you've given to each and every one of us, the measure that you've given. May we grow in it. May we grow in our understanding of who you are, who your son Jesus Christ is, how the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as believers, enabling us to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. Please may you speak through your word in a mighty way this morning. May you encourage and convict hearts. Help us to grab hold of this truth that's so Uh, relevant to our day and to our personal lives, something that we've all gone through. And Father, we thank you and we love you. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, Another uh, very insightful uh, portion of scripture that I do believe is very applicable to each and every one of our lives because it's something that each and every one of us has dealt with on some level in our lifetimes, and that's conflict and how to work through conflict and how to work through conflict as believers in Christ. Uh, This morning we'll be in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 down through 41. We'll end up wrapping up uh, chapter 15 this morning, and I've entitled this message, Our Differences Don't Divide God. And so as we read the text, we will understand why the message is entitled this way and what is going on in these last several verses of this chapter. So let's go ahead and begin starting in verse 36. And it reads, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we see that these giants of the faith, even amongst themselves, there came a time where there was a disagreement amongst the two of them. Again, as like I said, we will be winding down this uh, chapter in Acts 15. And up to this point, there has been just so much going on. There's been so much going on in the book of Acts. It's a, it's a beautiful book and a great encouragement and example for the church of our day and how we are to operate. Here are just a few things that we've touched on since we've gone started the book of Acts from we started off with the Lord speaking mightily through Peter at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming upon unbelievers and and uh people being able to speak in tongues and Gentiles being saved 
to the martyrdom of, of Stephen, the first martyr, to uh, Saul's conversion becoming Paul, and then uh, recently to the church deciding that Gentiles weren't under any obligation to keep the Mosaic Law. And these are just a few things that have gone on within the book of Acts, but so much, so much rich truth from us to draw from. Now we find ourselves going from one disagreement to another. For the past several weeks, we have focused on what was a doctrinal disagreement between Christian Jews and newly converted Gentiles within the church. But today we come across what many biblical scholars believe to be more of a, a personal dispute, a, a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, these, these strong men of the faith. It's very, it's almost unreal or it's hard to believe after all that we've witnessed between the two men, you know, being side by side, writing it out in the book of Acts, faithfully serving the Lord together, that there would be something big enough to separate these two men. Regardless of their difference of opinions, we will learn that even amongst believers, when we quote unquote agree to disagree, our differences will never divide God. His purposes will still prevail, and He will bring good out of a bad situation. I mean, let's face it, our Lord is in the restoration business. He's all about restoring and bringing to life what was once dead and making something fresh that was once old. There are several main points for us this morning, and the first one is this, as Christians... I know it's hard for some of us to believe, but we are far from perfect. (laughs) And there are some things that we just simply won't be able to agree upon. I think it's very interesting when we read about this dispute. It comes directly after the other dispute concerning the Jewish Christians and these newly converted Gentiles. In some ways, it almost speaks to the question, Is it a salvational issue? We know with uh, the whole premise of uh, Jewish Christians wanting to impose the Mosaic Law upon the Gentiles, that was, uh, could be considered, it was a salvational issue because, you know what, there's no, nothing you can add on to the grace of God. So they cleared that up, they got that figured out. What I mean by is it a salvation salvational issue, excuse me, is this. Meaning, if it's not something that's heretical, meaning it's totally against the Bible, fully against Scripture, uh, you know, the two, bar, two, two parties can agree to disagree. I'm not sure, but this uh, line of thinking, it may be where this whole idea of different denominations comes from. I mean, if you really think about it, we as Christians... Right. If we're truly believers in Christ, we all believe that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior and the only way to eternal life and salvation uh, to be with God the Father in heaven forever. We, we believe this as followers of Christ, no matter where we are on the globe. But when you think about it, man, don't we have specific ticky-tacky things that we within Christianity disagree on? For example... Some fellowships lean towards their church members being dressed up to every Sunday service. Very formal, suited and booted, nice dresses for the women, big hats, maybe even gloves, you know, kind of that southern flavor. While others 
are more casual about their you know members and how they 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 wear their attire they come in some form of jeans ripped jeans shorts you know uh basketball shoes flip flops uh so there's 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 a difference there some prefer hymns to be sung and they don't necessarily care for modern Christian music, and they would not want that played within their worship service. While other denominations, uh, they actually choose to have no musical instruments at all. They think it's not right. They want just the the human voice to be to be heard over all that. Um, it's it's sort of like the 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 variety. Uh, you know the the cookie analogy, the variety of cookies. Okay, you know with cookies, you got all different kind. You got chocolate chip, you got oatmeal, you got snickerdoodle, you got <clears throat> you know all these many different sh- uh, cookies, sugar cookies. I mean the reality is they're all cookies. They're all filled with sugar. Just some prefer prefer chocolate chip over oatmeal and vice versa, and that's it. Neither is you know better or worse. It's just a personal preference. All that to be said, it's not to say that we fully know why Paul and Barnabas split. But it is to say what they split over wasn't heretical. It was not a salvational issue that they disagreed upon. This is what we do know. The second main point is this. God's providence reigns over our decisions. Many times you and I make choices and we tend to think that the Lord is boxed in because of our decisions. Oh, we made this choice. We chose to take this job. And so now, oh man, I don't know what's going to happen. How is the Lord going to be able to work through this situation? But the reality is that could not be further from the truth. You see, the Lord is not bound by our decisions. He will always use our circumstances to bring about our good and his glory, regardless if our circumstances are likable to our our you know our personal preference we could have the most crummy of circumstances and the lord will still bring about our good through those difficult circumstances circumstances excuse me and bring about his glory that he deserves with that being said that does not give us a license to just live recklessly thinking he's always going to just clean up our mess. We know that that's not true, but he does uh but he but he does know we are but dirt, we are just flesh and blood, we are just you know these particles that are made up in the makeup of dirt. He knows that we are weak in our humanity and that we're prone to make mistakes. His faithful love endures forever, as does his long suffering. So the Lord will work through even our conflicts and disagreement to bring about ultimately our good and his purposes to reconcile humanity to himself. The third main point this morning is this. Though we as Christians may have disagreements, the Lord loves us all equally. You see, God shows no partiality to any person. In the fold of Jesus Christ, we are all equally loved. He loves us with an unfailing, everlasting, never-dying love, a great love, a gracious love. Unfortunately, 
Some of us may have experienced partiality in our own lives, in our own upbringing, within our own families, and how we felt and how love was shown to us. Among siblings, it's not uncommon for the youngest, the baby of the family, to be uh, or it to seem as if the baby is the most loved or at least pampered the most, being given things that other siblings are not given, while the middle child tends to feel neglected, tends to feel like they're passed over and overlooked while the eldest is given so much responsibility because they are the eldest and and that may be looked upon as you know they're they're not uh you know they're not being given the same opportunities as the other uh the other siblings an example I was watching with my son uh, last night, the uh, the Dr. Seuss movie, The Lorax. And if any of you have children and you know that story, you know about uh, the, the man. I can't remember what his name was. It uh, Sneed, so from Sneedville or whatever. And, you know, he had this whole... Uh, you know, creation. He wanted to cut down these trees so he could make this crazy thing that was like a sweater and it was like a schmock and it did all these different things. It was like a 10 in one thing. And basically, you know, um, his parents, you know, his mother would always, you know, tell him he wasn't going to amount to nothing. The invention that he created, it was never going to make it, this and that. And, uh, you know, the other siblings, other members of the family got more love and adoration from the mother and the father than than this man. And then all of a sudden, you know, fast forward into the movie, uh, you know, he becomes a hit. He makes, you know, all this money. And all of a sudden, the mother is looking at him like, you know, he's her number one child and this and that. But then after all the trees go away and there's no more product to be made because all the trees have been cut down in Schneedville or Tweedville. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. There's no more trees left. And then all of a sudden you see the scene where the, the mother comes up to the son and driving away and says, I'm disappointed in you. You let me down. And so, you know, we see these examples all over the place of this unfortunate thing of partiality. And, and, and just know for a fact that God is not like that. God does not look at you and me like that and, and say, well, I love, uh, you know, this person more than you and, and you don't measure up. You know, the, the cross of Jesus Christ levels the playing field for all of us. We are all equal at the cross. We also see biblical examples of this in the life of Joseph. Uh, his father, Jacob, he did a poor job of heavily favoring Joseph over all his other brothers. We know that, you know, the cloak of many colors and the fact that, you know, the brothers were like, well, man, I'm sweating my butt off working hard in this field. You ain't giving me no cloak. I, I want that cloak. And then they were jealous, envious, and they wanted to, you know, kill him. Uh, you know, thankfully, Reuben said, you know, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit. And everybody knows how all that plays out. Also, you look at the prodigal son. And the eldest brother, you know, when 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 the younger brother comes back and you know, uh, kill, you know, the father says, "Kill a fattened calf, get a get a ring on his finger, get him the you know the robe, this and that." And the oldest brother is like, "Man, I've been here the whole time, and you haven't, you know, you haven't, you know, done this for me." It wasn't that the father was partial because that's a picture. That's an illustration of our heavenly father. It's just that the eldest son's perception of his father, because the eldest son's heart wasn't in the right place, he thought there was partiality going on. In any event, I'm just trying to share that the, the, that these examples are, are crystal clear, and there's biblical evidence of this, and we know that our heavenly father is not this way. He is not partial to anyone. All right. Now that we know what's going on in our text, the main points, let's go ahead and break down uh, these verses and, and see what the Lord will reveal to us. Okay, let's start in 
in verse 36. And it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God and see how they are. As we begin, we need to take notice of what the true desires of Paul and of Barnabas were. What did they truly desire? It was it was to truly see young, immature believers become more mature in their faith, to grow spiritually, to be sustained by the word of God, to grow in their spiritual faith, to, to encourage and to spur others along, to grow spiritually in Jesus Christ. Paul did much pioneering evangelism where he preached in places where there was yet no Christian community. He did that. This was the main thing that the Lord did through the Apostle Paul. Yet he also understood the importance of strengthening and encouraging those who were already Christians. That was the initial motivation for his second missionary venture. I have a question for us this morning. And it's simply this, how concerned are you about the growth and maturation of Christians you know? How concerned? Does it, does it, is it something that's, that's, that's heavy on your heart to see your brothers and sisters in Christ mature in their walk with the Lord? Or is it something that you don't even think twice about, you just subconsciously don't really care about i don't know but it's a question that needs to be posed this morning because it is in our nature instinctly to look out for me and mine every man for himself mentality that's our nat- our natural inclination but as we become followers of jesus christ that mentality should change to a genuine care and concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The application for us in regards to this, this morning, is this. Our hearts should grow in true love for one another. That can easily be identified by simply our care and concern for each other. Jesus was clear about this, that the world would know him through the church's love for one another, the way we treat one another, the way we interact with one another, the way we care for one another, the way we do for one another within the body of Christ. That is how this world, this dying world would know that Christ truly exists. That is part of our ongoing testimony. If the church's love waxes cold, what does that say to the world about the state of the church? Well, it means that we are in pretty bad shape, and it shouldn't be that way. You see, Paul had the heart of both an obstetrician, someone who brings people into the body of Christ, and the heart of a pediatrician, someone who grows people up in the body of Christ. This shows that Paul had a real pastor's heart. You see, he was not content to merely plant churches without seeing them carefully nurtured and growing in the faith. And I'll be honest, I've 
personally been challenged by this, especially during the time of this pandemic and the shelter in place. I don't know how many months it's been. We're going on four, four and a half, five months of this. And, you know, I've been I've been challenged by this because the reality is it's not just about preaching sermons. That's honestly the tip of the iceberg. It's about rolling up your sleeves and my sleeves and getting dirty, getting involved in one another's lives. And the the challenge during this pandemic is you can't necessarily do that from a distance. But, you know, we have to find ways how we can still be engaged and we can still, uh, you know, be come alongside one another despite our physical distance. Okay, let's move on to the rest and the bulk of this message. So we'll go ahead and read from verse 37 down on through 41. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So next For us to better understand this portion of scripture, we need to know a little bit more of the backstory to get a better framework of what's going on here. So we see that Barnabas wanted to take Mark on this trip with them, but Paul refused. He outright did not want it to happen. John Mark had previously left the missionary party under what seemed to be less than honorable circumstances. You can read that in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, and it just says, Now Paul and his companions set sail to Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, meaning John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. This right here, this instance, probably made Paul unwilling to trust John Mark on future endeavors. We also have to understand since Barnabas was John Mark's cousin, and you can read about that in Colossians chapter 4 uh chapter 4 verse 10, and because Barnabas had such an encouraging and accepting character, it is easy to see why Barnabas would be more understanding towards John Mark. That's, that's you know, first of all, it was his blood. It was his, you know, family. And plus, again, you know, we know that, that the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was all about, um, you know, encouraging, you know, spurring others on in the faith. And so, you know, with those characteristics, with that mindset, uh, I think he, not again, not turning a blind eye to anything, but understanding, you know, hey, let me encourage my, my cousin. And, and, and this would be a great way to encourage John Mark by bringing him along on this second missionary journey. And so that's kind of what we have set up here and why there was a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Luke did not give us a clue as to who was right and who was wrong in this dispute between Paul and Barnabas. 
But the reality is it's never good when personal disputes flare up amongst those serving in ministry. You know, you got to get it figured out. There has to be a conclusion. You got to squash the beef and come to a peaceful conclusion, Lord willing. The application is this. Wherever there is sharp contention, someone, either party, is wrong. And usually there is wrong on both sides. And that, that's, you know, and that's that has everything to do with understanding the situation, sitting back and listening to the other person, having humility and being able to, you know, admit where you and I are wrong concerning the disagreement. There could be no way that both Paul and Barnabas were each walking in the spirit on this issue. Someone at some point was in the flesh in their thinking, in their understanding of the situation. The way that we should respond to disagreements is simply to humble ourselves. Uh, an example, it's simply, you know, no matter what, it's it's so funny how some of us will be like, our children can do no wrong, our family, you know, we're just, everybody's outstanding, nobody does anything that's, that's any way uh, you know, shady or not right. But the reality is in every family and in every relationship, there is always going to be a level of dysfunction, conflicts, and disagreements. In order for restoration to occur within two conflicting parties, both, hear me on this, both must be willing to humble themselves, to listen to one another, and to be corrected when needed. That is the only way restoration can occur. Again, we are not told the specifics on the matter between Paul and Barnabas, but it seems as if one or both couldn't come to an agreement concerning their dispute. The relationship between Paul and Barnabas was probably also strained when Barnabas sided with Judaizers in Antioch when Peter came to visit. You can read about that in Galatians chapter 2 verse 13. Early on in this chapter, there was a debate about a core doctrinal issue. Again, we know that it was whether or not Gentiles were supposed to keep the Mosaic Law and have the circumcision rite performed on them in order to be saved. We know that that's not true. We're saved by grace and grace alone. There could be no wiggle room with that. There was a right and there was a clear wrong. The truth had to come to light. But here... The sharp contention seemed less important and more personal. It was a personal thing. It was a preference. It was something that, you know, I like this and I don't necessarily see it the way you see it. So we're going to agree to disagree. There is a place for personal preferences. Yes, that is true. But when those preferences cause a rift in our relationships with others, we need to determine if our preferences are really worth it. You see, it's hard to know if their personal relationship was strained for a prolonged period of time because we know as Christians we are commanded to resolve relationship problems with others before we present our offering or our ministry to the Lord. And we can read about that in Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24. I know this is so relatable because we've all been there. Um, and I'll go ahead and read that in verse starting in verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar 
and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, it's always wrong to step over people in the name of ministry and when it happens, you got to get right. You got to get right with them and get right with the Lord. I mean, there's been plenty of times in the past that I've had disagreements with other brothers in Christ, but cooler cooler heads prevailed. Over over time, you know, we were able to reconcile, be reconciled to each other uh, despite our differences of opinions in certain areas. And that takes, again, assessing the situation, allowing yourself to be humbled, allowing yourself to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, seeing your brother more for, you know, than you, know, you just want to win an argument or, or get your point across and understand that no look the problem needs to be resolved this is not the enemy this is my brother in christ and we need to figure this thing out uh i mean the reality an example uh earlier this morning i had to humble myself and ask for forgiveness from the lord from my wife and from from you know from my son and there was no way that i could come in this room and prepare for this uh, message and record it without going before the Lord and going before my wife and my son and asking for forgiveness and being reconciled to them. And now that weight is lifted and there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation. And I'm freely able to share what the Lord has shown me throughout the week, but only because those steps were made. I can guarantee you if I came in this room and, you know, we had this disagreement, whatever went on, went on. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to get right with them. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. This would be a stale message and it would be cold and callous and the Holy Spirit wouldn't be in it because there would be that blockage. There would be that that clogged artery of, of sin, of unforgiveness, of lack of reconciliation that would not lead for the Holy Spirit to you know be able to unleash his power through the word because of my uh, pig-headedness. And so we don't want that to be for any of us, for any of us at all. Lastly here we see that despite <clears throat> excuse me the conflict between Paul and Barnabas the Lord still loved them equally and still used them for his purposes of spreading the gospel Though Barnabas left with Mark to Cyprus and Paul took Silas with him to Syria and Cilicia they both still accompanied excuse me they both still accomplished the work set out for them that the Lord had for them. You see, the God we serve is a God of completion. He doesn't leave things incomplete. He doesn't just do things half-heartedly and just leave it up for, you know, whatever. Let's just see if it happens. No, he is a God of certainty. He is a God of completion. He is a God of of of, of having a plan and having that action put forth and everything coming to fruition that he would like to happen. You see, he created the earth in six days. It was complete. Nothing was left undone. I mean, just think about how it would have been if Adam and Eve entered the world with mountains, trees, and oceans half made. It would be unequal. It wouldn't be balanced. It would just be super awkward. It's just crazy. There's no way. But God completed the task. God created mankind perfect and complete, lacking nothing before the fall. 
How would it have been if God didn't finish his design for humanity of how he wanted us to be? Physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we'd be totally out of whack. We only became out of whack because of sin, but God had created us perfect from the beginning. Jesus Christ, he came to the earth and he completed his mission to die for the sins of the world and to raise from the dead, ascending back to heaven. How would it have been if Jesus Christ came and taught and he healed physically but didn't become the sin offering for the world. Well, we would have great teaching and we'd be healed physically here on earth, but we would all live our lives and then we would all die and go to hell. But that's not the case because he finished, he completed the task at hand, he completed the mission, he completed the work. What he had to do, he made sure it was all complete. The Apostle Paul talked about this as well at length about finishing the race and not giving up completing the task at hand. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven tells us, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So you see, despite Paul and Barnabas separating for a season, the Lord still completed his work in and through them. For us today, we may not see eye to eye with some about every detail. But being but that being said, we must still try not to allow those disagreements to drive us apart. The Lord will use anyone who is willing to be available and to submit to him. He is willing to work through them. Part of that submission is our willingness to have strained relationships restored. We see that Paul chose Silas. And Silas became an important part of Paul's ministry team in doing work with him. Silas was recognized as one of the leading men of the brethren. We know in Acts chapter 15, uh, 22, it tells us about that. Silas was a prophet. We also learned that last week. Silas was a Roman citizen. He probably spoke Greek. And so he was a perfect fit to move forward with Paul on his missionary journey. And we also will see, not in this chapter, but later on, we will actually find out that eventually Paul and John Mark were reconciled to one another. And that's a great thing. That's a great example of this restoration where there was conflict at one point. Paul came to minister with John Mark and to value his contributions to the Word of God. You can read about that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Also in Philemon uh, the book of Philemon and, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. We, we, we really don't know all if, uh, you know, what happened between Mark and, and, and Paul and who changed and who didn't. But probably God had done a work in both of them. And that's what causes, again, the restoration to occur within individuals. There has to be a willingness on both parties to be humbled, to be uh, shown the error in their ways, and for the ability to say, yes, I want to be reconciled to my brother or to my sister. As long as both parties, and this is, this is a great hope, as long as both parties are alive, there is an opportunity for restoration to occur. 
And even if a party is not dead, it's been said many a times, you can write a letter to someone who's deceased, maybe who's someone who's wronged you and there's been just a strain in the relationship and you can't have peace. You can simply write a letter, you know, write a letter and, and, and forgive them and release them from uh, you know, the bondage of holding on to, you know, the hurt and the pain, and you will be healed from that. For us today, there is no greater restoration than for us to be restored to Jesus Christ. Again, that is the whole reason, the whole point why he came to the earth to forgive men and women of their sin, to have souls restored to their rightful place with the Lord forever. Once that happens, and our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, then all other human relationships have the opportunity to be restored and can be made right in the sight of God. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again for just this timely message of restoration, of you working within your people despite uh, there being conflict amongst us and that ultimately your desire is for us to come back together to be restored, Lord. We know ultimately that restoration process can only occur if we are restored to you through your son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you again for the blood of your son. Thank you that you wash away all sins. You make us new. We are new creations in your eyes and that we have the Holy Spirit living within us, giving us, giving us the ability to share the love of Christ with those around us. Father, we know that time is short and that you are you have made an altar call to the world, that you are desiring that none perish but all come to repentance and be restored in your son Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray for those that don't know you that they would find it very important to make that critical decision and accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. There's nothing that we can bring to you. We can't get dressed up and pretty ourselves up before you. We come as we are, broken sinners, lost in our ways, not able to uh, pay the debt that needs to be paid for our souls so that we don't experience your wrath. So, Father, please work in the hearts, convict hearts, break hearts that need to be broken so they can be built back up in you and your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that that would happen now. I also pray for those of us that have been walking with you, that you would help us to not be idle, <clears throat> but to remain in you, to re remain standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ, and that we would find our strength and our hope and our joy in your son alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you because you are worthy to be praised. It is in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.